With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and here we are with the Friday Political Panel. We've got Eric Allen, Herb Martin, Peter Ewart, and Art Betke. Uh, of course, today we're going to start with the big news from the last week and uh, you know the thing that has taken up a lot of uh, oxygen in Prince George uh, and uh, kind of across the province. Um, the city council last week voted in an in-camera meeting to uh, remove the park, the uh, encampment at Millennium Park down on First Avenue. Um, this was despite the fact that they had a memorandum of, of understanding with the provincial government where they would be using uh, provincial resources to, uh, to Im- implement the heart and hearth programs for decamping uh, people who are on the street and living in encampments and putting them into transitional housing. Um, you know, my main question here, uh, it's a very interesting timing. Uh, we've got the explosion that happened is it three weeks ago now. Um, big explosion downtown, a lot of damage. Uh, you know, latest, and I'm sure people were initially suspecting this but you know latest from the rcmp is that there were people in that building stealing copper pipe uh and that somehow that also was related to the natural gas line copper pipe doesn't carry natural gas but we're not you know something was happening in there with uh, people breaking in um and my my suspicion is are we seeing a council who let that millennium park go for so long uh just decide that all of a sudden they have to be they have to show themselves to be doing something Eric what do you think is this me here that's you <clears throat> I don't know if it's just uh, if it's that particular explosion that triggered the thing because uh, they were going to have to do something about that park anyway by the time snow flies but certainly <clears throat> it brought the uh, to the attention of uh, people that Things are going on out there that we we need to really get serious about and, and do some work on it. Uh, funny thing about the uh, the explosion that they did mention that some people were in there and probably removing copper, but they kind of disassociated that from the explosion. And uh, yeah, there was some very interesting specific yeah, wording, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. So I was kind of wondering how if they sort of triggered the explosion how they got out of there because it just it doesn't doesn't jive i mean they were seen running down the street so did they smell gas and then get the hell out of there and then something triggered it after that i don't know so that'll come in further investigation but yeah so that gets us to uh the millennium can't pronounce that thing millennium anyway. park yeah <laughs> yeah uh it looks like the outcome of that to get people out of there and into some sort of uh, housing. I, don't know. I mean, they're they're requesting they move elsewhere, and they're saying that the only place to camp uh, legally in Prince George's Moccasin Flats or Lower Patricia. Yeah, yeah, but I thought I just uh, understood that there's only about five left there or something. The other ones, did they go to Moccasin Flats or did they go into other housing? Yeah, I mean, what I've what I've heard is that there's been a lot of movement. People have been renting U-Hauls and stuff and helping people get out of there. And they went to Mogginson Flats. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought they went somewhere else. So anyway, just as a part of that article, I find rather interesting between the government and the city talking. It says, we need to prepare the land. We need to prepare the water, sewer hookups. Those things take time. 
That was that was stated by uh, Mayor Yu, and it's also by the BC government. That tells me that they had land and something set aside, had to put in water, sewer, and hookup as that. And that was the government's plan, and it looks like the city kind of moved away from that. And now it looks like maybe they're, they're talking again. So because... So where would they put it if they have to do those kind of hookups? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, they must be talking about uh, short-term housing, right? And I'm guessing yeah. trailers. I mean, the question that I've got then is, okay, so the province and the city signed an MOU in June. I've also heard that uh, because of this MOU, Prince George is now the recipient of the highest amount of uh, of cash flow from BC housing per capita in BC right now. Uh the Minister of Housing has said, well, our staffs are working together. Um, why like, why make this knee-jerk reaction? Um, and that's that's the question, like, why? Like, Herb, do you have any insight into why this, why this decision now when Millennium Park has been a mess for at least all summer, right? Well, I think you have to sort of look into the, the past history of City Hall here. Um, uh, in the last 10 years, uh, City Hall has... Um, actually less than 10 years. It's uh, bought and demolished both the PG Hotel and, and Days Inn. So had a combined um, uh, rooms of, of about 150. And um, uh, that could have easily easily gone to um, uh, house people that were on the streets. And uh, the city spent a ton of money uh, demolishing both uh, for what reason. And, you know, there's... You know, there's, there's, there's really this. This is, um, this is uh, inexcusable, really. If you look at all the uh, logging camps, uh, construction camps, uh, seismic camps across this province that are put up within months, and and probably hold thousands of workers, and we can't accomplish anything within years. I mean, it's it's just it's it's stupid, and to. You know what, what the city council is doing now by having secret meetings um, just just aggravates the whole thing. I mean, at least get the process out in the in the open. The what I've heard is the secret meeting is because of all this concern over liability. <coughs> I mean, another question that I'd love to be able to answer is how much has the city council spent on lawyers to determine where their liabilities lie? Apparently, uh, I've asked. Um, uh, some folks who in the know about how to get an FOI going for le- legal fees, but apparently you can't get them line by line. You get a full bill, like a monthly bill. Um, the liability issue is interesting. What I what, another thing, you know, you get all this kind of background information from folks who who maybe shouldn't be telling you things, but the the fire chief was down there apparently because they are concerned about another explosion because of all the the pressurized gas. Propane tanks, etc., that are you know in a, in a really uh, small area there, um, but that didn't change. That's the same idea, right? And if they're concerned about people uh, blowing something up or uh, or or being having to use that kind of thing to keep themselves warm now that it's um, now that it's going to be winter, you know, why wouldn't they be working on what you're talking about, getting act- into actual housing rather than just pushing them to another camp, right? Peter, what, what are you thinking here? Uh, yeah, I have uh, five questions. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, like just alluding to what uh, Herb was talking about, the, the secrecy issue and lack of consultation with the citizenry of PG. That's been a problem with the city council in the past. 
So why did the city council go into an in-camera meeting to discuss what should happen with the Millennium Park issue? As a result, citizens are left in the dark as to what councillors said or what their positions were. We need more explanation in terms of why this in-camera thing happened. Uh, second question, a memorandum of understanding was signed by the city of Prince George and the province a few weeks ago. We both to work together to address the homelessness problem. As part of that memorandum of understanding, the province claims that it offered the city dedicated encampment response staff and housing units in Prince George for unsouted pe un unhoused people. It also claims that despite that offer, it was blindsided by the city's ultimatum to remove the Millennium Park encampment on September 9th. Apparently, according to news reports, Provincial Housing Minister Rabbi Callan was very upset, had not been consulted about the city's decision. If Callan is right, why did the city go ahead or, or not take up the offer of the province? And why did the city go ahead with the decision to remove the encampment without consulting the province? Question number three. In an article in the Prince George Citizen, city councillors Tim Bennett and Kyle Sampson claim that they have not been aware or not, or not seen the offer from the province to, to provide support staff and temporary housing for homelessness in the city. So the provincial housing minister is saying that he offered support staff and temporary housing to the city, but at least two city councillors claim they were not aware or even seen this offer. How could this be? Why wouldn't they know about such an important issue? So who's telling the truth here? Question four, in regards to the provincial government, it's been in office for several years now. What can it show that has been done to solve the problem of homelessness in the province? Where has it made any real progress, if any? And last question, question five. The UN and international human rights law recognize that everyone has the right to adequate housing, including homeless people. Do the province and city councillors recognize and acknowledge that right? If so, what does that mean in practice? Anyway, those are some of the questions that I have on this whole issue. You got any answers to those questions, Peter? Uh, well, <laughs> well, for, well for, first of all, the, the, um, in terms of the uh, secrecy thing, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't see an adequate reason. Like they talk about liability, right? You can talk about liability about anything. You know, why, why did that take place with uh, uh, city council there? You know, is, is, it, a, is it a question of uh, trying to avoid, uh, you know, keeping things in the dark in terms of what positions are. Yeah, I wonder whether they're actually just afraid of scrutiny. Art, you know, they're moving people over to moccasin flats. Is that the outcome that we're looking for? Uh, they're allowed to camp there. It's illegal at Millennium Park, so you know. Um, and I would suspect this would be a good time to move them if they're going to move them before the cold sets in so they can be established. Because uh, if you don't do it now, you'll have to wait till spring at least. And I think they just wanted to get it done. Uh, as far as the in-camera thing, I wonder if it was to make sure everybody was able to speak freely without fear of repercussions, and bad press, and that kind of stuff. So that could be it. I have to agree with Herb. Uh, it, you know, they set up these logging and mining camps. It's not a matter of months. It's like a week or two. That's, it doesn't take very long at all. The only difference is that when they set them up, they dig a great huge pit, and that's their sewage. And later they fill it in, whereas, uh, you know, because they're out in the bush, 
So you can't do that in the city, so well, they would have to hook into the sewage line somehow and uh, some kind of a water system. Uh, that would take a while. But as far as setting up the, the camp trailers, that takes no time at all. I, guess, I mean, that's exactly what what the minister is saying, is that we were trying yeah. to get this, these hookups, right? Yeah, yeah and, and they should have been working on this a long time ago, no I kidding. think. Um, because you can't just... Uh, let them camp wherever they want to camp and destroy parks and destroy public property. Uh, and it's going to cost money, you know, the taxpayers' money, no matter what we do or don't do, so might as well set it up so it does the least damage. I wonder, um, you know, the other speculation I've got here about timing. Um, you know, we've got this this explosion, but, and I was, I was you know, this is just speculation, but I see... Uh, both of our local MLAs waiting in, both of whom are BC United. And it's very clear to me that Kyle Sampson has aspirations, political aspirations. Um, and, you know, is this a way for Kyle Sampson to get out in front and say, look at me, I'm being tough on crime, or I'm, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking the bull by the horns here. Um, that's, I guess that's my, my concern, uh, is that, like these, honestly, they're, they're some of the, 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 the people in our society who have the least uh, and are you know at the bottom of the rung are now being kind of used as political footballs between the the province and the city and then as a as a stepping stone for you know some of our of our city councilors to maybe make a bid to become uh, our, our MLAs now that's my big concern uh, we're gonna take a short break we'll be back after these messages do you like a good bluegrass song? Enjoying hearing music from the likes of Bill Monroe, Rhonda Vincent, and the Lakeside Ramblers? Then tune in to Backwards Pickens Sunday evenings at 5 on 93.1 CFIS FM for an hour of great bluegrass old and new. I'm Corey Walker and I'm thrilled to take you on a musical journey each week as we explore the world of North American bluegrass. Catch Backwards Pickens Sunday nights at 5 only here on 93.1 CFIS FM. Lace up your runners and join the Parkinson Superwalk. For over 30 years, this event has helped to raise funds and inspire hope for over 15,000 people across the province living with Parkinson's disease. Together, we can ensure every person touched by Parkinson's has the support they need to live well. Show your support by joining the Parkinson Superwalk, 11.30 Saturday morning in Clayton Tanay Memorial Park. To register or donate, visit parkinson.ca slash superwalk. Be on hand for another unforgettable, uplifting experience as the World Religions Conference invites you to celebrate their 18th anniversary. The topic of this year's free event is the question of timeless suffering. Admission is free with an East Indian dinner included in the Trinity United Church Conference Room at 5th and Union. For registration or more information, visit worldreligionsconference.ca or call 1-877-767-1965. The 18th Annual World Religions Conference, 630. 30 to 8.30, Monday, September 18th. Forecast from Environment Canada for today's sunny. Local smoke this afternoon, a high of 21. Tonight, clear. Local smoke this evening. Fog patches overnight, a low of 3 with a risk of frost. On Saturday morning, fog patches then sunny with a high of 19. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with our political panel, and we're going to move on to more more political uh, politicians in hot water. Sorry, provincial politicians in hot water. Uh, Mitzi Dean, who's the Minister of uh, Child and Family Development, uh, is being taken to task by BC's ombudsperson, 
Jay Chalk in a new report. Um, it's all about this this woman who I, I'm assuming is a pseudonym who's named Alexandra in the report. She was uh, removed from her family five times over the course of her uh, of her young life uh, because of abuse, put in foster care. And the social worker that was on the case actually promised her uh, education, free education, as in post-secondary, once she had uh, graduated high school. Um, when this woman, uh, Alexandra, finally was, was ready to pursue uh, post-secondary education, she found that those programs that had been promised to her were now unavailable. Um, the ombudsperson is saying, you know, these kinds of cases where functionally – uh, representatives of the crown are lying to children uh, really need to change um, and Mitzi Dean is kind of pushing back and saying uh, we're rejecting three of the five recommendations from this report um, you know if if we recall uh, Mitzi Dean was recently being being asked to resign because of a child who died in care um, Herb what do you think here is there like what's going on at the MCFD I would also like to say just back to the homeless issue half those people on the street came out of foster care well, I, I have a little sympathy for the minister. I think the bureaucracy that's entrenched there is pretty uh, intransigent. They don't they don't want to do anything. Obviously, uh, pretty much like our city council. There's uh, and and the city and the uh, city administration. Uh, you know, it's very hard to get uh, changes through an entrenched bureaucracy. And um, I, you know, if if the minister is st- staying on because she believes she can make changes, that's great. If she's if she's staying on because she basically doesn't want to lose her job, that's that's another thing. So I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt on this one. But uh, yeah, you know, bureaucracies everywhere are a real problem, and uh, we'll probably get to that uh, in in Ontario as well coming up. Peter, I mean, should Mitzi Dean be re- resigning for this? Like it's it's. Like two months ago, the last scandal that rocked her. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it. Uh, you know, in terms of what's going on here, you know, you have the situation where the uh, this compensation was promised, and uh, you know, the uh, this uh, young person <coughs> clearly had you know went through a lot of rough times in her life, and uh, here you have a situation where there's a big expectation for a way out through education that's promised to her, and then it's taken back, you know, which uh, is a huge blow to uh, to that young person. You know, I, like, I, I think that, you know, it's part of the larger issue about youth in care, you know, being uh, supported in, in transition to independence. And, uh, you know, you have a situation here where the, the, the government clearly, uh, uh, through the, the social worker, clearly made a promise that uh, and and then took that promise away. So I think that there's a real issue there, right? And uh, I would support the, uh, the that young person being given the opportunity to, to to get an education. She clearly wants to get an education, and uh, undoubtedly had all kinds of expectations about it. You know, it's not uh, it's not proper that the, those hopes should be dashed to the ground by uh, bureaucracy. Yeah, I'd also like to find out what happened to the social worker. Uh, Art, you uh, you actually have some experience in this field, having opened your home to to kids. To come yeah, yeah, we t- we took in kids on foster care. Yeah, uh, had nothing. They were younger. You know, had nothing to do with later life. So I have no idea about that. I was not aware that kids in foster care are entitled to free tuition at BC public schools and colleges. That that was a surprise to me. Um, 
it says uh, the article said that this uh, young woman uh, did enter an educational program on her own, uh, incurring personal debt. Well, that's what the rest of us do. And my son went to university. He incurred a lot of personal debt, you know. We paid for as much as we could and helped him out paying off his student loans afterwards. But I I don't know why people in care should be that uh, much more privileged than the rest of us. Uh, As far as this social worker that lied, did did he, she lie? Or was she just mistaken, like, I can't see anybody going and deliberately lying to somebody like that. Uh, if the social worker, you know, it's it said right in the article that uh, they have access to free education, so maybe the social worker was just going by that. So somebody else in the ministry later said no. Uh, have things changed in the meantime? And, you know, this is like seven years later. Uh, there's a lot we don't know about this story here, so... Uh, I, I don't think a social worker has the authority to promise something like that that isn't part of the program. So I really doubt that uh, she was lying. Yeah, I wonder because I, my understanding is that they've changed that so that now kids in care, like they, they get more support up to, I think, 25 or something, right, from the provincial government. But I think this person, this case happened uh, before that change. Um, and I think that that support includes access to, like, free tuition. Yeah, it's different, but it's a different system than than is now. Um, the I mean, the question of a of a basically a public servant, whether they're lying or they're mistaken, giving the wrong information to to a constituent or a stakeholder, you know that needs to be rectified, right? Because as a public servant, you're really like you should be checking twice if you're if you're if you are unsure about how your program works. There's a problem, right? I mean, we don't want to be we don't want to be going down to city hall and asking for a permit and getting and somebody saying yep you got the permit and then it being pulled back on us right I mean I think that that's a, actually a, a pretty big issue for the government Eric yeah I'm not too sure what the uh, situation was with the uh, social worker whether uh, you know she believed that that was the way it was there was programs there and that's what she said <clears throat> or she just misunderstood the whole uh, situation. It, it seems to me, you know, the ombudsman there, I don't know how long he's been around or, uh, you know, some of the other players in this game, but it looks to me like they're all basically six- to seven-year amateurs and aren't really up to speed on what their responsibilities are. You know, no, but we do, we tend to forget that this is a new government. You know, it's into, what, it's fifth or sixth year? And, you know, if they're transitioning the old people out and new people in during that period of time, which is normal for governments. We got lots of new people in there, and uh, because it's not just this particular thing that's going on, the government in BC is not in very good shape. They don't have a good reputation going forward so far that I can see. Nothing jumps to mind. Yeah, I mean, going back to, <clears throat> to Peter's point, like they've been around for six years, and where's the action on housing? Yeah. Right. That's an interesting point. Uh, so, I mean, are we in – we're going to leave Mitzi Dean alone? She's going to be stuck there, uh, and, and this is not the – she should not be wearing this issue? Well, no, I was going to say that's part of the the problem. I mean, if you look at her – you know, I just did a quick look at her bio or something. She was was in Romania or something working in a social camp, and she's got some other history over in Europe or in England or something, and then she comes over here and 
she's only got two or three years, maybe five years associated with the government here, so she may not even be qualified for the job she's got. You know, and if you know, we have to be serious about this. If you got a, a whole bunch of new people moving into government, you don't just have them all waiting in the alleys and uh, apartment blocks to get these jobs, and they're all experienced. They're not. You get to the point where, okay, you go, you go, you go, because we need somebody on this job. And the experienced guy is getting out the back door because he's a liberal. I mean, the, I wonder about that because, to, to Herb's point, you know, it, these it's a bureaucracy that's supposed to support that minister. She may be new, but they've got people who are who have plenty of experience immediately below her, right? And and the the I guess, frankly, the injustice of some of these things is that the inexperienced new people who are just the shining face of of these ministries, they wear it when the deputy minister is the ADMs and the other higher public servants never get never really get any any punishment right we'll take a short break we'll be back after these messages theater northwest new season is packed with great entertainment for the whole family starting with the classic agatha christie mystery the mouse trap this year's christmas presentation is a live musical radio play rendition of miracle on 34th street and you won't want to miss the comedic take on the sherlock holmes chestnut the hounds of baskerville and for those looking for something a bit newer there's a michael remy comedy sexy laundry for tickets, season passes, and full details, visit theaternorthwest.com. Lace up your runners and join the Parkinson Superwalk. For over 30 years, this event has helped to raise funds and inspire hope for over 15,000 people across the province living with Parkinson's disease. Together, we can ensure every person touched by Parkinson's has the support they need to live well. Show your support by joining the Parkinson Superwalk, 1130 Saturday morning in Claytlay Tanay Memorial Park. To register or donate, visit parkinson.ca slash superwalk. Be on hand for another unforgettable, uplifting experience as the World Religions Conference invites you to celebrate their 18th anniversary. The topic of this year's free event is the question of timeless suffering. Admission is free with an East Indian dinner included in the Trinity United Church Conference Room at 5th and Union. For registration or more information, visit worldreligionsconference.ca or call 1-877-767-1965. The 18th Annual World Religions Conference, 630. 30 to 830 Monday, September 18th. If you have a great garden this year and want to get a start on next year's garden, the Nachaco branch of the Public Library is holding a seed-saving workshop on September 23rd from 1 to 3. You'll be getting seed-saving tips from the Prince George Master Gardeners and the David Douglas Botanical Garden Society. If you participated in the seed library, this is a chance to return your saved seeds to the library. The seed-saving workshop is a free drop-in event September 23rd from 1 to 3 at the Nachaco branch of the Public Library. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're going to move on to another really cheerful topic here, uh, the issue of modern slavery, actually. Um, there is a U.N. Special Rapporteur for Contemporary Slavery. His name is Tomoya Obokata, um, and he's come out with uh, well, some statements saying that the Temporary Foreign Worker Program is basically a breeding ground for modern forms of slavery in, in Canada. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who come here, and uh, I think he was focusing on you know, things like agricultural workers, but we we do not have um, people in Canada who are willing to go and basically pick fruit and work on farms. The people who are brought in here are, are you know, the Temporary Foreign Worker Program allows um, uh, farmers to pay less than minimum wage, 
and bring people in for this amount of time, et cetera, et cetera. It's a, I, I think that a lot of people who come from um, uh, Latin America, let's say, like the ones that I've interacted with, for, for instance, down at Desert Hill Farm there in Ashcroft, they seem to be coming of their own accord. They, 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 they look great. They're very cheerful. They, you know, they're working hard. They come back year after year. Uh, in the Okanagan, you've got a, a bunch of uh, Latin American restaurants that have popped up because people have finally like ended up staying here. But there are cl- there's clearly an underside to this thing that uh, that this guy is talking about. Um, what do we think about the what like where do we go if we are having slavery in Canada due to this temporary foreign worker program? Like how are we supposed to actually change this program if we're gonna if we're gonna actually still have affordable food on our tables? What are we supposed to do here, Peter? Well, I think yeah, you know, yeah. There's a, a really serious problem here, right? In terms of uh, you have a, a whole class of people who are second-class citizens and are deprived of, uh, of fundamental rights uh, that uh, uh, you know should be for for everyone. It creates an unequal relation between the employer and employee. And uh, you know, I guess one of the points also is that. Uh, you know, the, the, the talk about the agricultural workers, right, where, yeah, there is some really bad cases of abuse that have gone on. But it's also the temporary foreign workers are used in other areas, like, uh, for example, in uh, in uh, home care and, and, and so on, right, you know, like, uh, and who worked through COVID-19, right, but uh, are put into a situation that... Uh, their fundamental rights to be able to, uh, you know, f- find other employment and, and so on is impeded by, uh, you know, the temporary foreign worker program. And so you have a situation where, whereby the wildfires that have taken place, uh, you have uh, down in the Okanagan there, all kinds of workers. Uh, uh, these, w- these workers come from poor, often poor countries uh, at great expense to themselves and all this. But um, are displaced by you know the in this case in the Okanagan by forest fires, and the, the temporary foreign worker program uh, deprives them of uh, getting employment benefits of any sort, or, uh, and puts them in an impossible situation. So I think that uh, you, you know rectifying that situation by by basically saying that uh, temporary f- foreign workers have have the same rights as anyone else in terms of. Uh, being able to uh, uh, report abuse, being able to uh, switch employers, switch employers, you know, and, and so on. So I, I, you know, I think there's a real issue here. What do you think, Art? Do you think we should be able to like? Is that a, is that a useful change to this thing to kind of prevent this kind of abuse? Is like enabling them to just be able to switch employers? It's kind of crazy that they you aren't allowed to change who you work for. You're coming in here to work. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, they, they should be able to switch employers. Uh, but calling this slavery is ridiculous too. Uh, that's just a lot of hyperbole. Uh, there is real slavery in the world still, and it's pretty awful. Um, yeah, these are not ideal conditions, uh, but they're no under no obligation to come. They're free to come. They're free to go. They keep coming back every year, so it can't be that terrible. And uh, it does provide them an opportunity for immigration and to become full citizens. And uh, for them, it's obviously worth it. Um, yeah, it, it's don't try and make it sound worse than it is just to, to get things done. It, it's that's it's, uh, irresponsible. Um, I you know I I can understand they would want to improve their conditions and and their pay and uh, 
definitely they should be able to switch employers if one guy is not treating them properly because when they're in, under that condition, it's it's uh, a recipe for abuse. So, uh, yeah, all you have to do is switch that and everything's cured. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, the other thing, I mean, Eric, what do you think about overtime? Like they're, they're talking about they're being worked uh, and they're not getting access to overtime. What if we just change it so that, as Peter's saying, they just have the same labor rights as everyone else in Canada. Well, they could, but if you put them under the Canada, the BC Labor Code or something, then you know you bring in WCB, you bring in all the rules and regulations, bring in minimum wage, sixteen or fifteen ninety six an hour or something. I don't know what these people get paid. Um, they actually they get paid the same. Oh, they so, changed that, eh? Yeah, you know. So if you if you want to hire a temporary foreign worker. Uh, according to the government, um, you've got to provide them with the same wages and benefits of those provided to Canadian and permanent resident employees working in the same occupation. In addition, temporary foreign workers working in unionized environments must be paid the same wage rate as established under the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, it was. I guess it was a few years ago that there was the big uh, scandal about um, temporary foreign workers coming in, like working at Tim Hortons down in Toronto, for instance, for like eight bucks an hour when when minimum well, wage was like twelve. Well, that's and that's where basically having to work for the same employer uh, guarantees people shut up and don't complain. So they uh, they should have the right to switch employers, and uh, <clears throat> they they also should have a right to um, uh, you know eventually uh, uh, get to residency, which virtually none do there is i mean they are mentioning in this article that there is a newish program it sounds like for for permanent residency and it was extend it was extended recently but that's brand new right? yes yeah, it's, it's less less than one percent of temporary foreign workers actually become canadian citizens and only about 30 percent of the uh, of the students here get their get their uh, pr yeah yeah but what percentage actually applied for it I mean, we we work under the assumption that every one of them wants to get into the country. It's not true. They don't. They, they like their own country. They just want to work here and go back there. And it's actually not a bad deal if they're getting half decent wages. But uh, you know, and the other side of this that we probably don't think about very much is these people are working for corporations who are growing these products and who are selling them and exporting it all over the world. It's not lo- it's local consumption that we buy, very small portion of what's actually produced and sold. So it's the business uh, people in Canada that are actually exploiting these people more so than Canadian citizens. Hmm. I mean, there's a whole thing set up for these people to run these big organizations. It's funny. I did. I was down in Texas, and I, I bought some uh, B.C. blueberries. <laughs> it's kind of funny, eh? Like- yeah. <clears throat> I was trying to buy some some uh, cherries a couple summers ago up in the turn off to the uh, golf course and the the guy they're really good too I says if you're coming back next week I'll get some more and he said no no after this week everything goes to Germany wow so and this goes on all the time we I didn't look it up but we export a hell of a lot more uh, than we use locally yeah it's a strange it's a strange thing actually when we're like it's almost like we trade apples with Washington State, you know. Yeah, but it, but it's, <laughs> the other strange thing is that we got a patch of land in Canada. We bring in foreign workers from other parts of the world. We grow all this stuff on the land, and then we export it to different places around the world. So they're just using us for the land base so they can run their operation. 
That's the way I see it anyway. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back after these messages. Prince George RCMP has a new section on their website titled, Can You Identify These Individuals? It's a page you can visit to view surveillance photos of people suspected of committing a crime. It also includes contact information for reporting criminal activity to the RCMP or through Northern BC Crime Stoppers. Search for the Prince George RCMP homepage through the locations menu at rcmp-grc.gc.ca and see if you can identify the individuals today. If you've been impacted by fires in BC, you're encouraged to register with the Canadian Red Cross. Registration is available online at redcross.ca or by calling 1-800-863-6582 between 9 and 5 daily. Registration ensures you can be contacted while away from home and to receive information on assistance that may be available. Donations to the 2023 BC Fires Appeal can be made at redcross.ca or by calling one 800 4181111. The outside main entrance to CNC is going through a renewal and reconstruction project to improve its worn infrastructure. While the main entrance is closed, access to the main campus is available through the west entrance located between the dental building and gym. Large signs are in place to guide students, staff, and visitors around the construction site to alternate entrances and exits. More information is available at cnc.bc.ca and on the CNC social media accounts. Forecast from Environment Canada for today's sunny, local smoke this afternoon, a high of 21. Tonight clear, local smoke this evening, fog patches overnight, a low of 3 with a risk of frost. On Saturday morning, fog patches then sunny with a high of 19. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with the political panel. That's Art, Be- Art Bedke, Peter Ewart, Herb Martin, and Eric Allen. Uh, we're going to move a little further afield. we got to do a little follow-up on a story we ran last time uh, about the Greenbelt scandal in Ontario. Since we last spoke, they, they were obviously listened to uh, after nine over there in uh, Ontario because <laughs> they heard they heard our calls for the the previous housing minister to resign. They've got a new housing minister, Paul Calandra. Um, he claims that there's going to be uh, oh, there, we got to take a real good look at this. You know, got to really look at the scandal that that resulted in all these developers, some of whom can't even build a house, getting getting access to this land in the green belt. Uh, but don't expect us to stop giving the land away. <laughs> I just find this so hilarious. Like, yeah, yeah, we did wrong, but um, even though we did wrong, we're going to keep doing it. And, and I'm the new minister. This is my first message out the gate. Art, what do you think? <laughs> well, it sounds like they plan on uh, expanding the city, uh, and uh, nothing's going to stop them. I don't know anything about Toronto. I, is it uh, is it so built up that there's no more room within the city uh, there's or so much there's so much brownfield that could be infilled yeah, there's so well, and the gr- the green belt isn't like next to the city it's like hundreds of kilometers away oh yeah, like, yeah. yeah well okay then there's something funny going on here because uh, that's that's not necessary but you know you look at bc uh agricultural land reserve when that came in in 1972 and uh all the agricultural land around where I grew up is now all bustling city. Yeah. And uh, it's all over the place. So Chilliwack, I mean, prime, prime, yeah. beautiful farmland, just paved and made into mini yeah. malls, right? Yeah. It didn't really do much. It slowed it down uh, in areas where there wasn't much growth anyway and uh, where the landowners didn't have any political clout. But other than that, it made no real difference. So, 
Eric, uh, you know, I really thought that this government was gonna was gonna wear this. Like this might be the thing that that kind of that 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 takes them down. But is it shamelessness, or is it uh, they believe that because they have so many years left in the in the term that they can just ride this out? Yeah, I don't know. I was a little bit surprised with the uh, statement that it was you know damn the torpedoes full speed full speed ahead, <laughs> eh? and it's like. Am I am I reading this correctly? <laughs> because there's a little contrition there, but very very little. You know, we did make some mistakes, but we're going to go full speed on this and uh, build another 1.5 million houses. That's what's important. And I suppose if you're in the uh, in the property business and the construction business and and uh, real estate buying and selling, that's the way to go because that's where the money is. But you know, every now and then you hope that we're more than that. Uh, but maybe not. Maybe it's just winner take all and to hell with the rest of them. I do like I do like the fact that they continue to talk about we have this housing crisis in Ontario. We're going to solve it by building five thousand square foot mansions on the outskirts of the city. <laughs> like, it's crazy, uh, Herb. Yeah, it's pretty cynical government. I mean, <clears throat> when. I guess they figure they can get away with it. They, they'll, they'll sacrifice uh, the minister, or the, the previous minister. He's a sacrificial lamb. And since only 43% of the population came out and voted for, you know, in the last elections, that probably they're just going to forget all about it. And um, yeah, who cares? You know, they'll, they'll, by the next election comes around, everyone will forget about it. So, yeah, it's really cynical. And it uh, uh, continues to be cynical. And they, they're just doubling down. It's... Uh, no remorse. Uh, they're not going to uh, re, uh, re, rescind any of the uh, the, uh, the line that was uh, taken out of the green belt. They're not going to put any of it back. It's uh, yeah, basically yeah, full speed ahead. I mean, there are there are issues more than just the corruption, more than just the bad approach to the housing crisis. There's also the fact that I mean, Art was alluding to that this is. Um, this is some of the last remaining areas of both farmland and like ecological sensitive uh, areas like wildlife habitat in that in that huge greater Toronto Hamilton area um, if if they get away with this they're just they're just chipping away at at what is really actually you know something that prevents climate change is a giant carbon sink and is actually where food grows um, what's what's motivating this is it just greed Peter yeah, well, uh, for me, what comes to mind is uh, if you have a gang robbing a bank, right? And uh, so they're in the midst of robbing a bank. And then uh, others say, well, what we should do is we will uh, maybe arrest one of the people, but allow the the, the, the robbery to continue on. And, uh, you know, so what, what, it does, what it comes down to, it's an indictment of the whole political process. You know, as to in terms of what's going on, right? That uh, uh, s- such a thing would take place. Like p- people will, like we often look back at the, the Roman times and at the crazy things that happened back then, right? Uh, you know, thousands of years ago. Well, people are going to be looking back and saying, "How could this happen? How could how could you have a government doing such a thing?" You know, involved in uh, this cr- massive corruption. Uh, and uh, no accountability, and continue on with the corruption, even though they're caught. Yeah, it's it's amazing that that Doug Ford actually just it's just his ministers that are eating this, and and the one chief of staff there, because it's it's his party's 
that those those developers were at the specific developers who got access to the who who bought the pieces of land before they were actually open to development right like that's clear evidence of of corruption um it's you know yeah it's so strange we did it wrong the first time we were totally corrupt the first time but we're going to keep doing it mm-hmm. yeah it, it kind of blows my mind um we're going to move on i just want to kind of line up the next segment before we take a take a break for messages um hey the leaders of the convoy of, of last year's uh, Freedom Convoy are now on trial. Tamara Litch and Chris Barber are both facing charges of mischief, obstructing police, and intimidation. Uh, Tamara Litch, I'm not sure if Chris Barber also has him, but uh, she's she's hired Lawrence Greenspawn, really hotshot defense lawyer. Um, and I was interested in some of the stuff that was happening in the courtroom today, but I'm also interested in kind of the, the tenor of the coverage here. So... The, sorry, this week. This week, um, Inspector Russell Lucas was was in the courtroom, and his the way it was reported, um, it focused actually on the fact that okay, you know the the Ottawa police are trying to strike a balance, right? As you always have to. People are protesting. You can't bust heads on a bunch of protesters. Um, you got to let them do their protest. You know, after the first weekend, I think he said something like two thirds of the people who actually had descended in Ottawa went home, went back to their jobs and lives, did their, you know, had their protest, and then they were they were negotiating with the remainders to see if they could move them away from a place uh, that was so central, right, right in front of the of Parliament Hill. And those negoti- negotiations were ongoing. Um, and when he ran it up the line. The basically the top brass of the city of Ottawa said, or the sorry, the Ottawa Police Service said, we aren't giving an inch to these guys. We're just going to contain them and make them go. I just found that so interesting that this that it was. It seems to be that this thing that you know was so entrenched and took so long to to get over, and all the people of Ottawa were were you know legitimately um, uh, disturbed by this and and you know wanted their city back. Um, but the police seem to have like taken their kind of pride and ego first, uh, rather than looking at ways to kind of constructively move, be like move these guys out of the downtown. I think it's so interesting. Uh, and before everyone jumps on their microphone, we got to take a short break. If you are affected by dementia, you are not alone. The Alzheimer's Society of BC offers in-person and virtual support groups for caregivers and people living with early symptoms of dementia. Learn, laugh, and help others through mutual understanding. For a listing of upcoming support group meetings or more information, visit alzbc.org. Registration is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. In-person and virtual support groups from the Alzheimer's Society of BC. Sign up today. This year's BC Culture Days is set for September 22nd to October 15th across BC. The official kickoff is in Quenelle, this year's host city, on September 23rd from 11 to 6 with a full day of stage entertainment and artist presentations, plus food, art activities, and more. The Prince George event, a shadow puppet language workshop, will be that same afternoon at the Prince George Public Library. For a full listing of the upcoming events and activities, visit culturedays.ca. The Alzheimer Society of BC has social programs for people living with early-stage dementia and caregivers. Coffee and Chat is designed to help you meet new people, engage in social activities, and have fun. Full details are available online at alzbc.org slash coffee-chat. Coffee and Chat, every second Thursday from 11 to noon. 
Register for an online session by calling the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. The Prince George Folk Fest Society is presenting Daket Shun Inli Music in the Fall, Saturday, October 21st at the Knox Performance Center. This eclectic evening of music will weave together elements of pop, hip-hop, and R&B, featuring the artists Matt Mack, Zenon Plus, and local favorite Symbiaz Wilson. Tickets are just $25 each, available online through coldsnapfestival.com. A warm-up for February's Cold Snap Music Festival, Daket Shun Inli, Saturday, October 21st at Knox Performance Center, downtown on 5th. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. I think it's uh, Eric whose turn it is to start. Let's hear it, Eric. What's going on with uh, Tamara Litch and Chris Barber? Uh, do you think that, one, uh, is the media kind of renovating their uh, their reputations? And two, is this once again about the Ottawa Police Service not doing their job properly? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I don't know if it's just the Ottawa Police or the Ontario Provincial Police or the RCMP or the Canadian Army because at some point they were all involved in this situation at the time. Um I was shaking my head when it was happening, and I still shake my head today because, to me, it seems incomprehensible that we could have this particular uh, protest, and with all the uh, um, (laughs) police forces that we have, we weren't able to solve the problem. It's just incomprehensible. You know, uh, if they were in downtown Ottawa and they were breaking uh, local bylaws. There's, there's laws to cover that. You get a record, you go in, and you throw it out of there if they don't take it out themselves. And I didn't see a lot of that going on. I seen a lot of people walking around and pushing crowds back and forth. And and the, the one thing that stuck in my mind was this 16- or 18-year-old girl went to city council and told them that you have a bylaw, a noise bylaw, and you have to enforce it and stop them from honking after 10 o'clock. And they were able to do that. So there's one person who was able to get something done, but 10,000 other people, highly paid, weren't able to solve this problem. And uh, that they chose to call a problem, like you were saying, they had a protest. After that, they should have taken it down piece by piece and moved it out of there. Uh, I don't know if it's Tudor flexing his muscles so he could be like daddy or what it was, but it wasn't very good anyway. Yeah, I mean, mischief, obstructing police, and intimidation, those are the charges. Um, when, in fact, I, I, I just feel like couldn't they have gotten a, a court injunction and removed them? As simple as that? Well, or, look, the Ottawa Police Force was the only police force in Canada that had a problem with convoy pro- protesters that staying. So, I mean, basically, they, they rolled over in the first place and uh, it didn't take uh, proper precautions. Uh, <clears throat> that was, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that was made worse by um, the premier, Doug Ford, who basically let it all uh, happen so that uh, <coughs> Trudeau had no choice at the end to uh, use uh, the Emergency uh, Measures Act, which was supported by two-thirds of Canadians. So we know, I don't think Ottawa Police Force played uh, too hard with these uh, with the with the convoy protesters they <clears throat> just didn't uh, start off hard enough interesting i mean you got to you have to balance this these are these are just protesters right 
They had a bouncy castle. They seemed to have a lot of fun. Yes, they made a lot of noise, and maybe there was intimidation happening. There were a lot of people that got laid off because they couldn't go to work. Right? It wasn't. It wasn't all just bouncy castles and fun. Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good point, Peter. I mean, do you think that Tamara Litch and Chris Barber should actually be charged with these measures, or should we be looking more at the police uh, inaction? Well, I, I think both. You know, like in terms of, uh, you know, like the uh, the protest itself, like was very mixed up and sort of crazy in terms of what demands were there and and so on, but. There's also, as, uh, as other uh, panelists have pointed out, there's failure of uh, three levels of the government to deal with this thing. You know, there's adequate laws and all this to, to, to uh, deal with such a situation, and uh, this was not taken up. What concerns me the coming out of this is that uh, the, 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 there's a lot of negative things, but uh, one of the most negative things was the invocation of the Emergency Act by the federal government, which to me was an example of overkill, you know, like where all of a sudden you had a situation that using the Emergency Act that uh, basically uh, the uh, government was able to uh, create a form of civil death in terms of cutting off um, financial uh, services, uh, cutting off bank accounts or whatever and all this, like at the stroke of a pen, you know, which to me... You know, that, that's one of the bad things that comes out of this thing there. It creates precedent to, to be able to use that against other kinds of protests that are more legitimate in the future. That's a really good point, you know. Um, I, I still want to get to this point of, like, the fact that this Inspector Russell Lucas testifies that there were options available and the police did not take them. We might have We might have just avoided this whole situation if they had moved somewhere off to a park or something and... You know, and done their thing and not bothered anyone. Uh, Art, what do you think about this whole whole situation? Oh, I think it's blown out of all proportion as far as the, the two defendants are concerned. Uh, uh, this was uh, probably the most peaceful, the nicest, and friendliest protest in Canada's history. There, no destruction of property. Uh, any violence was done by police, not the protesters. Uh, they made sure that at least one lane was open for emergency traffic wherever they were. They did a better job of clearing snow than the city d- did, and uh, crime was way down during the protest. So, yeah, this, if this is a, a bad protest, I'd I'd hate to see a good one. I mean, uh, the, the police did actually try to tow the trucks away. Uh, they tried to hire tow trucks, and for some strange reason, all the tow trucks were broke down at that point and unavailable. Uh, it seems a, a lot of the tr- truck tow truck operators and owners in Ottawa uh, sympathized with the truckers' convoy. And, you know, they did have a legitimate beef. Uh, the, the mandates that the government put in were absolutely useless and uh, weren't needed at all. So, yeah, it seems. I mean, I I agree. The whole thing was extremely mismanaged. I, you know, it's not the protest that I would have been participating in, but I still want to see people being able to protest. On the point of crime being way down, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my partner is reading this uh, Jane Jacobs book, "The Death and Life of Great American Cities," and it really points out that we need eyes on the street, right? We need people who are on the street who are watching what's happening on the street. It's funny. Actually, hey, we had that with these these protesters there. 
24 hours a day, people were there. And I mean, if crime may be way down in that, in that neighborhood because of that, or because people just saw this and did not want to be doing that in that area.